encourage you to grab your copy of God's Word, uh, one near you, and turn to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, this is the fifth stanza of this beautiful psalm, Psalm 19, and we're looking at verses 33 through 40, 33 through 40. They were read for us by Miss Diane, I thank you for that. And looking at, really, the psalmist is, is concerned about obedience, concerned about obedience. And every verse in this stanza has a petition, a prayer, a plea. So I've entitled this message, Prayers for Obedience. And I'd like to look at that in three different sections. Prayers for instruction, first. Prayers for instruction. Prayers for direction. And then lastly, prayers for protection. So we see instruction, direction, and protection. Psalmist desires to obey God. Uh, we see this in, in words such as keep it to the end, speaking of his statutes, this uh, observance, observe it with my whole heart. He longs to keep the word of God. To keep or to observe has the idea of guarding something, to guard something faithfully. So guarding his life according to the words of God. Question before us, just in a way of introduction, before we move into these petitions, is why is obedience so important to the Christian life? Why is obedience so important to the Christian life? It should be a marker in your life, believer. So why is it so important? Well, first I want to look at Obedience displays our salvation. Obedience displays our salvation. An obedient heart does not come naturally. Naturally, we are born into this world disobedient. The Bible describes us as rebellious, hostile. Uh, we, we are contrary to the, uh, live contrary to the words of God. Brother Rick read for Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, these longing for this to be fulfilled, and it's fulfilled in Christ Jesus coming and calling a people to himself. Salvation, salvation changes a heart from disobedience to obedience. The believer is equipped and enabled to faithfully keep the word of God once salvation comes. The other way around leads to misery and shame. If you have yet to repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and obedience to God is your aim in life, you're walking down a path of misery and shame. And there are others before us that can attest to that. The German monk and reformer Martin Luther uh, lived a life early on, trying to obtain righteousness and uh, justification with God by obedience. He entered a, a monastery that was known for being the strictest of monastery, the Augustinian monastery. He actually said of himself, if anyone could have earned heaven by the life of a diligent monk, it was I. He tried to obey completely the word of God. But it's in an in 
impossible mountain to try to climb with slippery slopes that no one will ever ascend to the top of. He even says, I tortured myself with prayer, fasting, vigils, and freezing. The frost alone might have killed me. What else did I seek by doing this but God, who was supposed to note my strict observance of the monastic order and my austere life? I constantly walked in a dream and lived in real idolatry, for I did not believe in Christ. I regarded him only as a severe and terrible judge portrayed as seated on a rainbow. Elsewhere, he recalled, when I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with the daily sacrifice, tortured myself with fastings, vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. Obedience outside of salvation is torture. It's torture. And let me clarify for a moment. Obedience to God outside of salvation is torturous. That does not mean that you, child, can go to mom and dad this afternoon and say that obedience to you is torture. That's not what I'm saying. Salvation brings an obedient heart, a transformation that must take place for true obedience. That's why obedience is important, because it displays salvation. It also displays submission. Our obedience displays submission. When we obey the word of God, we are demonstrating submission to a higher authority. It indicates that God is our king and he has the right to declare how I should live. Submitting to that, he is our God. Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 13, 4, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. God is worthy of his people submitting to his authority. And in submitting to one's authority, obeying someone else, we demonstrate our allegiance. And our allegiance as the children of God should be to God. So our obedience displays our submission. But in the midst of that, not only are we demonstrating our submission, but we're also demonstrating our true worship, our true worship. Paul writes about this in Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Obedience is a means by which we submit to God is the ultimate authority, is that title that he holds, our God. Lastly, obedience displays our satisfaction. Our satisfaction demonstrates that God is our ultimate delight and joy in this life. By saying his commandments are good, I love his commandments. I love him. And actually, here's the thing, that God did not just give us this this blank sheet for us to try to map out our own lives. He's given us a word to direct us in obedience and a way to please him and demonstrate our love. Yet again, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy 11.1, You shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep 
his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Through obedience, we demonstrate our love and delight in God, that he is our ultimate satisfaction. Obedience is very important part of the Christian life. Made possible through salvation, demonstrating our submission to God as king over our lives, and also revealing our true love and worship and placing that in him alone. Very important. Our psalm this morning, or stanza, gives us prayers to guide us because notice he is utterly depended upon God to lead him in obedience. He needs God to lead him in this obedience. He's dependent upon him. So we'll look at these prayers in these three different sections. First, prayers for instructions. Look with me again at verses 33 and 34. The psalmist writes, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. We've seen the psalmist, he, he mentions it before in verse 26, teach me your statutes. But look at the difference here in verse 33. Teach me the way of your statutes. Coupled very closely with this understanding, this teach here isn't just knowledge, not just the extent of meaning. He wants him to show him and instruct him in the way of his commandments. The, the, the understanding that he longs for, the, the, the two questions put in place are, how and why do I obey your commandments? Show me how and why and how I can obey your commandments. So how does God show us the way of his commandments? Well, I think that we can see this very clearly throughout Scripture, that it's demonstrated in the Godhead, in the Trinity. Let's, let's begin with God the Father. God the Father displays or shows us how we are to keep his commandments. In order to keep them, he gives us wisdom. Wisdom. Look with me at Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, verses 6 through 15 is where we're going to be at. But Proverbs 2. Proverbs is marked by wisdom. Uh, we believe that Solomon penned this book and, and, and demonstrating and applying these, the need for wisdom in the life of a child of God. These Proverbs are very necessary for life, for instruction. We see that the Lord is the one that gives this wisdom. Look at verse 6 with me. I'd like to read through 15. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. From men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perseverance of uh, uh, perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious 
in their ways. The Lord gives wisdom, discernment, and discretion in teaching us the way of his commandments. We live in a very unstable culture today where, where, where right and wrong, good and evil are being redefined in every area of our lives, whether it's the family or a nation uh, celebrating immorality. We, we, we have issues that generations ago, uh, ago would have never thought would have been an issue across our country. As the children of God, we need discernment and wisdom and how to navigate these, these things that our culture brings our way. And not all the time do we have a, a, a chapter and verse to go to, but we have the wisdom given to us by God that keeps us in bounds of his word to make decisions that are most pleasing to him. Discerning what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. God gives us, God the Father gives us this wisdom as he teaches us the way. And it's great to know that he loves to give wisdom to his children that would ask of him. You know the verse from James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. When we also see God the Son illustrates how to keep the word of God. So we're, we're asking God, how and why should I keep your commandments? He shows us how and the why of keeping his commandments. The Father gives us wisdom. The Son illustrates on how to keep the word of God. Let me just read for you just a few verses from the Gospel of John. He says, Meanwhile, disciples were urging him, this is Jesus, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus, it was as food to him to do the will of his Father. Later on, Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Yet again, in John 17, verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus Christ demonstrated. He set the standard for obedience for his people. He shows, he, he laid the, 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 the pathway in which we are to walk in obedience. Obedience even to the point of death, Paul writes. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He illustrates for us obedience. Obedience to the point of denying our lives and giving it up to him. Valuing the will of God more than my own will. Jesus Christ illustrates that for us. It's how God displays the way to keep his word. Lastly, the Holy Spirit empowers us to keep his word. The Holy Spirit empowers us. As Brother Rick prayed from Ezekiel chapter 36 as a gift for salvation. We're all dwelled, indwelling, the indwelling spirit is within us who empowers us Paul writes about this extensively in Romans 8, in verses 9 through 11 and verse 14. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. One of the church fathers commenting on verse 14 says, As believers, we do not merely live in the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit as well. The Spirit has the same power over us as a pilot over a ship. God clearly demonstrates and displays and leads us in obedience. That's the prayer of the psalmist. Teach me, pleading with him, show me how to walk in the ways of your word. Looking at verses 33 and 34 again, but he does it until the end and he does it with his whole heart. True obedience this is why it's so important to understand the necessity and the importance of it is marked by salvation and that in obedience will endure until the end. We have far too many personal testimonies of friends, possibly even family members, that have walked in temporary obedience but have walked away from the faith. True salvation in Jesus Christ calls us to faithful obedience, and that obedience endures until the end. It comes from a genuine heart with my whole heart, sincere obedience, stemming from love and devotion to God. So have you considered your motivation lately for your obedience? Sometimes we get so caught up in 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 life that we don't even realize that we're walking not for the glory of God, but walking for the praise of man. As children of God, our devotion, our obedience should be marked by a whole heart, full devotion to God alone. I hope that if you're a brother and sister in Christ, that you long to be marked by an obedient servant. Be marked by an obedient servant, knowing that God the Father gives us wisdom, that the Son illustrates obedience, and the Spirit empowers us. I hope that you're dependent upon God for obedience. And I ask you, when's the last time you've encountered the Word of God, read the Word of God, and it left the pages of the Word of God and transformed your walk? When's the last time that's occurred in your life? Dear believer, we, we run to the one that shows us and directs us in this way. So plead with him. Come to him. Lift up these prayers for instruction. Next, let's look at prayers for direction. Verse 35. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it, this leading, this uh, of asking to be helped here, it's 
the idea of treading or marching. The picture is that of a leader leading his troops into war or, or a shepherd leading his sheep to better pastures or, or even bet, better, a, a, a blind man being led by someone down the right path. Jesus Christ directs us in the right way. God the Father directs us in the right way. One translation says, help me stay on the path of your commands. He's already spoken about this. I don't want to wander away. I don't want to stray away from your commandments. Psalm 119 verse 10, with my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. We, we constantly are in need of guidance or we will veer off. The, the, the honest reality is the people of God, our obedience is not always consistent. And if we're not living in an alertness and being directed, we will find ourselves wandering. He calls upon him to redirect him, knowing that his, his commandments, they're not here to kill my joy, but they're here to give me life. They're here to guard me, not rob me of pleasures, but actually bring true delight. They are not harmful, but helpful. They guide us and direct us. The end is not just the fact that I can say I obey. The end of the obedience is to gain God, a longing to be near God. Verse 36 says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. This, this incline here that he's asking is for, for his heart to be bent back in another direction. Naturally, our hearts bend towards disobedience, then bend back towards the flesh. He's asking for our hearts to be bent back towards his word, his way, and not, not to selfish gain or covetousness, which it might be translated, not gain acquired by violence, not greed. Instead, he longs to be near the Lord. Jesus illustrates this in Luke chapter 12. I'd like to actually read that for us. If you want to turn there, Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, an individual begins by coming to him and asking for Jesus to, to uh, really help him out in a a matter that he has with his brother and their inheritance. In verse 13, we read, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Sometimes it feels like that's what parenting is all about. <laughs> but he says to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there, will, there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? 
So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what I want to hone in on. Rich toward God. Our hearts need to be bent toward the word of God. And in order for our hearts to be bent towards the word of God, we need to plea and pray for God to direct us in that way. So that our value and what we count is valuable is God and God alone, not the distractions of this world. I think it's worth noting at this point, if you have wandered from the commandments of God, your brother or sister in Christ, remember something very important. God's love does not increase or decrease because of your obedience for you. His love for you does not increase or decrease because of your obedience. That's a wonderful and good truth to know. He is caring. He is understanding. Jesus says he is lowly and gentle. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is willing to come alongside us. He wants us to come to him. So you find yourself walking outside of these paths that he's given us. Outside the commandments of God. The call is for you, dear believer in Jesus Christ, run to the one that loves you and will bring you back to his fold with open arms. For the one outside of Jesus Christ, I have yet to plead with you, but come to Christ Jesus. The promises the world offers you is only temporary. The gain that you can have only brings temporary joy. It is not long-lasting satisfaction. What the world has to offer is nothing more than the lie that Adam and Eve were given in the garden. It's temporary. Lasting joy, lasting contentment, real richness is being near to the loving creator. And he's provided a way through his son, Jesus Christ, through faith and repentance. I encourage you to call on him. Look at your heart, dear believer. Consider that. Lastly, prayers for protection. These last four verses here in this stanza really focus on prayers for protection. Here in verse 37, turn my eyes. Verse 39, turn away the reproach. We have one that's longing for protection from God. Protection from vanity first. Verse 37, 38, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways confirm your servant your promise that you may be feared turn this turn both in verse 37 and verse 38 is pass over something the idea is for God to take the psalmist's eyes from one place to another place he calls upon God to take his physical eyes spiritual eyes off of worthless vain useless things and place them elsewhere place them elsewhere what are these worthless things they're the things that that promise us something that will not fulfill us they're false they're a lie we live in a very visual world that appeals for our eyes to constantly be placed on particular things What a very simple and clear and direct prayer. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
Young men, let this, this, this verse be seared in your mind as you walk through life. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And give me life in your way. John Calvin said it best. Every time we open our eyes, we must remember that two gates have been opened for the devil to enter our hearts. Unless God guards us by his Holy Spirit. He didn't believe the literal devil would enter the life of a believer. But he's speaking about the sin that we allow to fester in our hearts. One commentator said, as men of God, we need God's power to turn away our eyes for the plethora of temptations now found everywhere in a nation that has jettisoned morality and accepted wanton immorality. Help us, O oh God. Amen. This is the prayer of a humble heart, the heart of a man who realizes he is always one step away from falling into sin. That's a plea for protection. Guard me. Guard my eyes. Turn them away. And look what he says. He says, confirm or establish your promise. I mean, we, we, we're, we're, when we look at the promises of God, we look to the attribute of God and his faithfulness. Last week in my equipped class, we looked at the, the fruit of the spirit of faithfulness. In light of all the fruit of the spirit, they're best seen in their purest form in Jesus Christ. God demonstrates for us what it is to be loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and, of course, faithful. And as the people of God, we are utterly dependent upon the faithfulness of God. I'll share with you just a few ways in which we are utterly faithful or dependent upon the faithfulness of God that I shared last week. We're utterly dependent upon God's faithfulness for deliverance from temptation. Paul writes, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it we're dependent upon God's faithfulness for sanctification first Thessalonians 5 23 and 24 now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ he who calls you is faithful dependent upon the faithfulness of God for forgiveness of sins if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we are dependent upon God's faithfulness faithfulness to his promises this the psalmist and his desire to be obedient to keep and observe the commandments of God to the end knows that he needs God to cause his eyes to turn away from worthless things but he also needs God to be faithful and he is because he is the only one that deserves the respect and reverence for being faithful what did he say he says confirm that your servant your servant your promise that you may be feared and lastly in this protection first vanity then reproach verses 39 and 40 turn away the reproach that i dread for your rules are good behold i long 
for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Reproach, taunt. Living an obedient life does not gain the attention that we really want from the world. We're mocked. We're taunted for our obedient ways. The psalmist pleads with God to turn that away, but he still puts his hope in the rules of God, in the commandments of God. He says, I long for your precepts. His delight is in the law of the Lord. A resolved heart will keep pressing on even when reproach may come. Keep moving on. Keep pressing on. Living an obedient life before the Lord. Pray that you would guard your eyes and your way according to the word of God. And that you'd call upon him. There's really just one simple takeaway from this psalm. And that is to daily pray these prayers along the way. As a child of God, you desire to be obedient. Obedient because you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Obedient because God is our king and deserves our obedience. Obedient because really our love is demonstrated, displayed in that obedience. And the word of God, though, brother and sister, it's not burdensome. I'll leave you with this. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our tool he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Let's pray this morning. Father, we're thankful for this psalm. It expresses a heart that longs to be near you, longs to be devoted and faithful to you. And it's marked by the theme of your word. Father, your, your word is to be valued, it's to be treasured, it's to, be it's to be placed in our hearts and mind. And, Father, it's given to us in order for us to be directed to you. I pray as, as we consider these eight verses, each including a plea and petition for you to act in our lives, to give us instruction, to show us the way to obedience. Father, we're thankful for the wisdom that you give us, for the illustration of a obedient or an obedient life in your son Jesus Christ, for the empowerment that we're given in the dwelling Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we would call upon you daily to teach us the way of your statutes, to give us understanding as we walk through uh, lives that are constantly being 
Lord, immorality and idolatry and greed and self-centeredness being directed in those ways. I pray that you would keep us and direct us, Father, in your word. Lead us through life so that we can live pleasing lives to you. Lord, we long for you. We know that this life is temporary, that, Father, this life isn't it, but, Father, there will be a day where we're all given eternal bodies and we'll either spend eternity with you or eternal, eternity separated from you. Pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that they would live in light of eternity, obedient lives for the soul that is yet to repent and believe. Call them unto salvation. Transform them and equip them, Father, to live that obedient life. We love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen.